What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. And Derek, we're here once again trying to get people through this just, I guess you could say, just forgettable season for Kentucky basketball. I had somebody reply last night saying, hey, we need a podcast to kind of talk us off the ledge. Well, we might be throwing you off the ledge today. (laughs) Yeah, I had people messaging me last week um, saying to help them get through work, things like that. So even though probably in terms of the last four or five years in terms of UK sports, this might have been the worst year to start a podcast given the results of uh, both the major sports programs. But we're happy people are still listening. Um, yeah, Sean, it was another – I mean, it's another tough game last night. They're 5-11 they're and 11 now. Um Played an awful first half, but then played well enough in the second half that they got back to that four-minute range that we've talked about pretty much all season, those final four minutes where they've had opportunities to pull out wins and they just haven't been able to do it. Um, I guess you got to like the fight that they showed last night, but you know, at Kentucky, especially Kentucky basketball, there are no moral victories, and it's it's another loss. I mean, you're sitting at 5-11 now. What are they, 500 now in the SEC? I am not even looked at it last night. Four and four. They might be below it now, mightn't they? Might might be, yeah. I've actually not checked it. Um, pull that up in just a second. Didn't include that in the story. But um, I thought that was going to be a tough game for them to win anyway. Um, just Missouri is a veteran team, physical team. And, uh, I mean, Kentucky showed the fight like they've showed all season. I mean, they the kids play hard. But uh, right now they're just not good enough really to, to beat too many teams that are that are a little bit better than them. So it was another loss, and you're staring at a a situation, Sean, that, uh, you know, we knew it even before last night, but only only hope for the postseason at this point is running the table in Nashville. Yeah, yeah and that's actually what I was going to say, that Kentucky will play – it'll be Ole Miss, I think, to end the season in March, yes. and then they'll have the SEC tournament. Uh, I don't think you're going to be seeing much Kentucky basketball in March, but I'll tell you what you will see in March. You will see the Butcher's Pub at a new location, Derek. London, Kentucky, coming March 2021. So uh, coming up here in the next, what, five, six, seven weeks probably. I don't have an exact date that they're going to open, but there will be a third location for the pub right there off I-75 in London. So then you'll add that to Williamsburg location in Palmville. You can visit thebutcherspub.com or you can check them out on Facebook. Derek, you were talking about Kentucky and their SEC record. They're four and five. So they are below 500. And that's a that's a team that started three and oh. In SEC play, and now yep. to four and five. But when you look at this these standings, though, this is what I think is this this is where you everybody should just agree that this is just not a good basketball team. We got to stop with they'll get it figured out, they'll make a run at the end of the season, they can win the SEC tournament. I, I don't see it, Derek. This is this the SEC is not that good. Uh, outside of Alabama, at ten and zero, Missouri five and three, 
Kentucky's literally a game back of third place. Arkansas six and four, Florida six and four, LSU six and four, and Tennessee, who I think is the biggest surprise. To me, it's more surprising than Alabama being ten and zero, which is saying something. Tennessee five and four in SEC play. Well, um, I agree with what you said. Like, and I tweeted this last night, and it must have been confusing the way I phrased it, but. On this podcast specifically, and maybe that's where the confusion was. I mean, anybody who's listened to me on here, um, and I think you too to some extent, like we, we both probably had the mindset that, I don't know, five, six guys would come back. They'd bring in that class next year, and they'd get, have you know good, experienced teams, more veterans, and they'd be fine. And watching that first half last night, like I, I think I probably gave up on that idea a little bit. And with Kentucky, I mean, it's we still got to see who's going to come back, who's going to leave. We don't, we don't know yet. Um I feel better but about one area. What's that? I feel better about their front court than I do their back court. Because I'm not convinced they're getting anyone from this back court back. Like as far I'm talking like impact. Like Devin Askew yeah. is kind of gone the other way right now, Derek. And if, if anybody who knows anything about basketball, I don't know what his potential is at this level because he can't get by a defender. And if you have a point guard – who cannot get by someone, you're kind of handcuffing yourself. I mean, it's like Quade Green when they had to put him off the ball and he's just smaller, couldn't do anything besides just shoot open shots. Davion Mintz, I mean, unless he decides to use an extra year, is gone. Uh, you still, I still would say that B.J. Boston and Terrence Clark will not be on this roster next season. So then yeah. you have to wonder, too, about where what's Dante Allen's mindset and head like with the inconsistency with minutes, only playing seven minutes last night. Is he still at Kentucky? A year from now, that's that's where I'm coming from. But the front court, I feel like, has some pieces. I, I really, I, I think Keon Brooks will be back. I really like Lance Ware, uh, Jacob Toppin, from what we've seen him. So, I, does that make sense? How I feel better about one area than I do do another, but still, that's yeah. not, that's not yeah. enough. And I think for almost Cal is dramatically going to change the way he does things, which I highly doubt. You would think that. Shoeboy will fit in better than Olivier Saar in terms of how Cal wants to operate. And then Damian Collins coming in. I don't know. I think the way Isaiah Jackson's played, and I fully expect him to leave for the NBA, but the way that he's played, that's been encouraging. I mean, he did some things last night that uh pretty impressive. I mean, he's been a great rebounder the whole season, been really good blocking shots, but took that ball to the rim a few times, dunked at home. Um, I, I totally agree with you on the backcourt. That is a um, – Let's talk about Askew for a minute. Um, a kid who – I don't even know what his expectations really were, to be honest with you. Like, I, I know uh, Collison out in – was it Darren, Darren yeah. Collison? I don't know yeah. you know him. Uh, you know, he worked with him, had some good things to say about about Devin, and you would expect that from a guy who who's working closely with him. I, I don't know that the scenarios happened when they recruited Devin that they thought he would have to be the main point guard this year. I mean, there's probably a time when they signed Devin that they didn't even think – well, if he signed in November, right? Like, they probably didn't think quickly it was going to be gone last November. Um, and even Hagens, even if you expected him to be gone, I mean, maybe there was still a chance. Basically, I think some things had to break, break in Devin's favor for him to become the starting point guard. What I wanted to talk about, though, was Cal was asked why he continues to play so many minutes. Let's see, what did he play last night? He have pulled up and played – it was a good question. 32 too. minutes. Was... Yeah. So the question was, why does he continue to like, what's he showing you that basically I'm paraphrasing the question, but like, what has he done to justify playing 32 minutes is the way that I kind of viewed it. 
And Cal didn't answer with uh, a thing by saying like, oh, you know, we like his potential. It's going to be good for him. He answered with basically saying we don't have anybody else. Yeah. Play yeah. point guard, which is, is true, which comes back to Cal um, in terms of how he built this roster. But I, I don't know what you think about that answer, Sean, because to me – it tells me like he doesn't want to be playing him 32 minutes, obviously, but he just doesn't feel like he has another option. I don't think there's many people on this roster he wants to be playing. I mean, I think it's kind of clear that he's fought the whole Dante Allen thing, still fighting it. That, you know, if Dante's not, you know, making a shot as soon as he goes in, Dante's not going to play minutes. I mean, how do you go from doing what he did at Mississippi State to starting him a game, to playing him all these minutes, to playing him seven minutes last night in a game where you're already down a guy in Jacob Toppin? Olivier Sard fouled out. I mean, Devin Askew's playing horrible. I don't know. Like, it just it doesn't make sense to me. But I also, I think that what you're seeing is John Calipari, from a PR standpoint, this is by far the worst year of his career. When it comes How many to times he, he had to go and correct things he, after on the Twitter he's, account. He's like saying three times. nothing right. He's saying nothing right to the fans. He's saying nothing right to the media, nothing right to the team. Uh, do you really believe? That Joel Justice just stayed home just to to work out Terrence Clark and Jacob Toppin. Like I'm sorry, I'm I'm not buying it. Yeah, was there some mixed messaging there as well? Because I I thought that Toppin stayed home because he was sick. Yeah, but then, like, but then they kind of made it sound like he was like practicing. So I, I don't know. That just kind of seemed well, weird. And back to the Askew thing. Even in a year, like let's just say that you know, yeah, Askew struggling. Everybody knows it. Everybody that that is watching Kentucky, if you watch them for twenty minutes or you watch them for two hours, you can see that Askew struggling. Calipari in years past, Eric would have said something. He would have made up something, but he literally dodged it, which is saying, like like you said, it was pretty much who who do you want me to play there? We've been working B.J. Boston at point guard. We're talking about B.J. Boston who for three months couldn't take a good shot. So how do you expect that to work out, playing point guard? I mean, that, that's the other thing. They played Terrence Clark at point guard early in the season. But Kentucky has nobody who makes offense easy for the team. They don't have anybody that sets anybody up, and I don't know. But, yeah, just the whole the Terrence Clark situation is just the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in my life. I, I think we can kind of all – I think at some point we've all kind of speculated. You know, the G League thing was there before the season started. Then he shut that down and said he was going coming to Kentucky. He arrived at Kentucky, Derek, and then had the injury, which we know he was hurt just by looking at how he played in that stretch against North Carolina and then Louisville. You could tell he was hurt. But then I said on here the other day pretty much what Cal said without directly saying it, that once it gets to a certain point, if he's not back, what's the point in coming back? Yeah. I don't think he's going to – I mean, it sounds like Cal's kind of putting the ball in his court in terms of if he can practice. I mean, he had the, the comments on the – I think some people got confused by what he said to the media post game versus what he told Tom Leach on the on the UK radio network, which is obviously a totally different interview. That was the one where he said that the MRI has showed that there's nothing structurally wrong or whatever with his leg. It's just, you know, he still has pain and he limps around at practice. So he kind of put the ball in his court, though, in terms of if he's going to play or not. I, I didn't, yeah, I, I just didn't think he would come back. I mean, I don't think he's going to opt out. But yeah, I mean, the kid travels every other game, even when he's been hurt. But now the whole thing was, oh well, there's really no reason for him to be here. Like, come on. I mean, something's different there, right? You don't just go from yeah. traveling every single game to all of a sudden, you know, well, why does he whole, need to be here? <laughs> well, the whole comment about you don't need a cheerleader. What is Cal's all? What's Cal's thing always been? You know, 
be engaged, you know, be, be a cheerleader, yeah. be cheer for your teammates. Uh, the way Clark was early in the season, the way Fletcher was after he, you know, took a, took a step away from the pro. How about that? He played like one possession, I think, offensively, and then missed a box out, and he got yanked and never went back in. <laughs> yeah, like, I didn't point? know how. Yeah, I don't know how I felt about all that. Like the kids not played in over a month, like six weeks. I mean, I think you if you played him, I think you kind of had to go in with the expectation that he's probably going to screw up since he's not played in so long. And then he he went in and he screwed up, and then he just got taken right back out. So I don't know why I even put him in in the first place. In regards to Dante, seven minutes. Uh, I don't I don't know how long it's been since he played that few minutes. He did not play well in the first half. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is what it is. And he's right. Like they did go in in the second half and like BJ was shooting the ball pretty well. I mean, they shot pretty well as a team. I'm not like that disappointed, I guess, or whatever, like in previous games or if Dante didn't play very much. Like I, the only thing that confused me and may, I don't know what Cal's mindset, like Cal basically, whenever you really needed a bucket, he called for a three point shot for Keon Brooks who had hit a few. Uh, I'll say that he'd hit a few earlier in the game and he hit it too. So I'm not saying it was just totally ridiculous, but like he talks all the time about not wanting, like he typically doesn't draw plays for guys to shoot threes, but then whenever he does, he goes to Keon Brooks. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I just don't, I don't really get that. Uh, And maybe, you know, maybe if you put Dante in and you're down teams, know, like maybe Dante couldn't have gotten as open as Keon did for that shot. But that that was kind of my thing. You were down at the end. He did some buckets. Um, probably might not be a bad idea to have your best shooter out there. Instead of like, you know what he's saying, you know, Devin asked you, he's saying, you know, we got to have a point guard out there. Well, if Davion's out there, surely to God, he can handle the handle the point guard if you need some buckets. Because Devin is not going to score for you right now. He was not going to be a guy who's going to get you offense. He had two shots in the first half, which you know, he finished two for eight, which is bad, but he hadn't even made a shot, I think, the last three games from the floor. No, and, so, and I texted you about how he was kind of barking, whether it was a no call or a call. All, yeah, and then about five minutes later, he got teed up. Yeah, it was it <laughs> was frustrating to watch him though. Like it, it got to the point that I just I was hoping Cal would take him out, and not put him back in. The the Herald Leader had a photo uh, posted on Twitter. I don't know where they got it from, maybe the AP or whatever. But it's hard to kind of tell the context. But but Devin is like holding his jersey and he's right in Cal's face, and you can tell he's yelling, and Cal's not even looking at him. <laughs> so I don't know when that happened in the game or what it was, but I thought it's kind of a funny photo where the kids just like. Looks like he's screaming at Cal, and Cal could care less that he's getting yelled at. Isn't it wild, though, that I don't ever remember a team, any team, honestly, that I've watched where the minutes fluctuate, not just with one guy, but with multiple guys. I mean, how many – we had a game where Lance Ware did not play. Yeah. And then he starts. And then last night, he's one of their better players. I mean, right at a double-double. I thought he was the one guy who really fought the entire time he was in there. And he was he was also a guy who was trying to calm Askew down every time Askew would get upset. Uh, I saw some things from him, Derek, that show me that he has some leadership qualities that if he's a piece in this program for a couple more years could be a very solid uh, building block to build around for some experience and, and some attitude. Yeah, I like Lance. I like uh I think he's a guy you would expect to get a little bit better offensively as it is right now. I know he scored three buckets last night, uh, hit a couple free throws. All those are all around the rim. He's someone I could see a year or two from now, you know, being 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 pretty tough to handle down there on the block. And like you said, that leadership quality, um, I, yeah, I see potential for that. 
you know, it was a good game for him last night. It was a good it game was. for for Jackson too. Those two did pretty well. Sar just can't stay out of foul trouble. That that kid loves to commit fouls sixty feet from the basket when it means absolutely nothing. And that's um, who he was at Wake Forest too. This isn't just yeah. a Kentucky thing with him. I mean, it happened last year. You know, Sar. I mean, it, what I was talking about. Shoe, like I think Shoe Boy is going to be a, an upgrade because the way Cal wants to play Sar, I mean. Sar needs to be taking jumpers and shooting jump shots. And they actually talked about a little bit on the broadcast last night. I mean, he stepped out there and hit a three. And I think maybe Carl Ravage said something like, oh, you don't see that too much, which is pretty accurate. But Jimmy Dykes was like, well, actually, when we were there in the preseason, Davion Mintz and Olivia Sar are the best shooters on the team. <laughs> but you don't see Sar utilized that way very much. Like Cal wants to put him on the block and, and play that old school stubborn. basketball. So if you're going to – yeah, he's stubborn. So if you're so committed to doing that, like at least Shoe Boy seems like the kind of guy who's physical – uh, he should fit that style a little bit better. Well, that's the thing. So. Like this roster, and that's that's why I, I don't want to come off that I'm going all in on these kids because the one thing I will say about it is they're all playing hard. I feel like the majority yeah. of this roster, they care and they're playing hard. Like last night when they lost, I don't know if you watched the end, the very end of it as they're walking off the floor, Lance Ware was furious that they lost another game. I mean, he's the guy who came out the other day and said that he believed that they could win every single game. And you saw it last night. He cared. Uh, he was he was pissed that they lost, so I'm not going to buy into the these kids don't care about it. Ultimately, Derek, this falls back on John Calipari. This is the worst coaching job of his career. Like, yeah. I don't know if you can pinpoint maybe one, maybe two guys who have actually significantly improved this season. I I just don't see development in a lot of these guys, which concerns me for what we've been saying for four to five weeks now about a bulk of these guys coming back. That's true. Wait, what, what quantifiable skill have we seen ask you improve on? Like, I, I can't say there is one that you just look at him at the beginning of the season to now and say, you know, this kid has certainly improved in this one area. I mean, can you think of one? I can't. I mean, he's, I mean, the turnovers and stuff, like he was turned it over not having any assist early in the season. Uh, at least he had some assists last night. I don't think he had – how many turnovers did he finish with? He had two. Okay. What, four, three assists or four assists? Four. But he's playing a ton of minutes. I mean, you'd like to see that number yeah. climb a little bit, but the Kentucky has to have guys make shots. Um, no, I, I do think that you look at Lance Ware's play, I think he's improved. Davion Mintz, Davion Mintz was their best player to me, like last night, offensively for sure. But Jackson, yeah, I think that's the guy that you look at and say, you know, he's – He's definitely had a solid year. Kind of, it gets overshadowed by how bad Kentucky's been. He, if Kentucky were in the top ten right now, Derek Isaiah Jackson would be the headline of every single story and every single broadcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah I agree with that. I mean, I, I like him a lot, but you know, the, the deal is they came to Kentucky and they're probably going to leave here after this year. I mean, I think another thing to mention too, and maybe this is like just being overly critical. I don't think it is though. If you look at next year's class, it's not – I think it might be – hell, it might even be number one in the country. But that's not the point I'm trying to make. Let me, let me check real quick with Kentucky's class. Oh, it's actually fourth. So it's actually dropped since the last time I looked at it, which makes sense because this is the point I'm about to make. It is – like I don't look at anybody in this class coming in for Kentucky and – in the areas that Kentucky really needs help, I don't see them getting help in those areas is what I mean. And maybe they're going to wait and use the transfer portal, which is completely fine. I mean, that's 
it's in today's it's, college basketball, it's easier to do that, I guess. But like, is Nolan Hickman could he be an upgrade from Devin Askew? I think so. I think, but no one's could. labeling that kid as a no. You know, he's not like John Wall coming in here or anybody. It's not, but I do think he will be an upgrade. But it's very important, Derek, that Kentucky adds shooters the rest of the way. They need to go add somebody that can shoot the basketball more than one. Uh, need to even if that goes whether it's the high school route you add one and then you look at the portal and say okay I'm going to get a shooter not not worried about you know if this kid scored 18 19 points a game you need someone who is a shooter cuz that's the only way I think they're going to change the way that they play offensively they they don't have enough shot makers well how about this though look at Cal's history in the transfer portal and Unless you're someone like Mintz. Like, Mintz didn't have much of a pro future even at Creighton. And uh, maybe he came to Kentucky because he thought it would help. I still don't see him on any, on any mock drafts, and he's arguably been this team's best player. To me, if you're a transfer in a good situation at another school, or if you're considering transferring but you're in a good spot, like, why would you come to Kentucky? Well, how? Like, I guess what I'm saying is how can you be convinced that Cal is going to use you in a way that's beneficial to actually help your situation more than what you'd be currently be in? Did Reed Travis – improve his draft stock by coming to Kentucky versus being at Stanford? I would say no. no. He helped the team, no doubt. I mean, he was a big piece to that team. Nate Sestina, same deal. Like, I, Nate, more than anyone, I would say was used just as wrong as anybody else. Like, I mean, in terms only, of his skill set. The only thing I'd say about Nate is, is Nate in the G League if he didn't go to Kentucky? I don't know. I mean <laughs> – Maybe, maybe not. I'm not sure. I mean, maybe it did. Help. Does it help their exposure? No doubt. I'm not. I'm not going to argue that. I mean, certainly. No, yeah. Absolutely. And if and if your choice is to play at, which I know I think he had to leave based on the rule that they had in, in the Patriot League. But like, if your choice is to play at Bucknell or play at Kentucky, I mean, hell yeah, you want to go play at UK. I totally get that. But what I'm saying is, I'm talking about guys who would substantially improve this team next season. Good players who might consider leaving. I don't think it's going to be a slam dunk of a case as it would have been just even five years ago if you were considering leaving your school for Kentucky. Like, I think if you get a kid in a pretty good situation at another Power 5 school or things like that, I'm just not convinced that they're just going to get up and leave their situation to come to Kentucky right now. No, uh, Yeah, that's that's a very interesting point. I think it's a very valid point, too. Uh, so could you get some transfers? Sure. But are they going to be good enough to, like, really, really, really help you next year? I don't know. We'll see. I'm I'm just looking at this thing and you said it last night. You sent the text to him. You said I'm I don't know remember how you worded it. I don't have my phone right in front of me, but you said something along the lines of, you know, you're not convinced that they're gonna be that much better next year. They're just or that they're gonna be a title contender is how yeah, you said it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't, they'll be better. I, yeah, I mean, yeah. surely to God they'll be better. But all this and we've been pushing it, I've been pushing it that if you just get five or six back at Kentucky, bringing what you have in, you should be a title contender. We thought they were con- – me and you picked them to go to the Final Four this year. I was all in on this team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, um, uh, so, yeah, like – and maybe it's too early to say that. I, I do want to see what that final roster looks like. But to me, with the guys that we would project to leave for the NBA right now versus what they have coming in, to me it still looks like a clunky roster. Well, you want to see – you still have questions. You know, the the yeah. guard play. Guard play is the biggest question mark. Like, that's what wins you games in March is guard play. I mean, how many times over the years, well, definitely in Calipari's tenure, have we watched Kentucky lose to a team that is full of very good guards? Connecticut, a couple times. Uh, heck, Sam Decker killed Kentucky 
in 2015 from that perimeter spot. I mean, it happens over and over again. That you, that's how. That's exactly what you see happen. Uh, as guards carry teams in March, and right now, on this roster, right now, even if Kentucky did get in the NCAA tournament, what guard do you feel like is going to carry this team? I mean, Davion Mintz is a very good guard, but is he is he a superstar that's going to carry you to a Final Four? I actually had that thought today earlier. Let's say they did run the table in the SEC tournament and actually made it, but then got like, does does it even mean anything? Because like even if you win the SEC tournament, you're not going to win the national title. You're not going to contend for the national title. I mean, this is not a team that you can count on. One, they're not going to win the SEC tournament anyway. But that was kind of my thought at this point in the year. Like, how much does it even help? Like the confidence or whatever. Like, does it even change how you really feel about this team if they get hot one weekend and go and win it, but then they still get knocked out like first weekend of the tournament? I'll, I'll ask you this, and this is this is going to sound like, an, and somebody's going to message me and say, "Wow, what a horrible take." <laughs> but uh, I'm really to the point where I'm considering okay I'm asking you this this team's not going to make a run let's say they do win, like you said let's say they win the SEC tournament they go in they're not making a run it, they just they don't have the pieces no. to make a run do they have the pieces though if they get in the NIT to win a couple of games and make a run there and it play, at least play some extra basketball and possibly get these guys coming back some work well, I don't think there's going to be an NIT, no. but just to play along, theoretically. Had... Well, actually, some things have to fall in their favor. Like, you have to have a winning record to even yeah. play in the NIT. I guess what I'm asking have a winning is, record. would it be better for them? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't see any benefits of Kentucky back playing and, in the NIT. I guess fighting back and making the NCAA tournament would be the biggest benefit. I mean, obviously, yeah. you can take some momentum in the next year. But I was just looking at it from a competitive standpoint. Uh I can't believe I even said that. Lord have mercy. I might even edit that out. If I don't, apologize and nobody message me about it. That's probably the worst thing I've ever said in my three-year career covering Kentucky basketball is that I just ask if the NIT would be better. That, that's how bad this team is, though. They probably should – well, I, I think I see what you're – oh, okay. I think I see what you're saying now. You're, you're saying, like, they they probably wouldn't win any games since a tournament, but they actually could win a few in the NIT. Yeah. That's, that's okay. exactly what I'm talking about. Like, if if you had a team that was like, if you knew you're gonna have that core together for a few years, I, I've thought about that before. Um, you know, it's a big deal. For, like, it's a big deal for any team to make the NCAA tournament. That's everybody's yeah. goal. But I see what you're saying in the sense that, like, for Kentucky, I don't think it's it really applies. But for another program, I could see where it could be more beneficial to you to get that momentum in the NIT. Yeah make it to New York City versus getting knocked out the very first game in this way tournament. Yeah. But, yeah, for Kentucky, not whenever – you don't even know who, what your rosters are look like no. next year. Like, there's you no know, benefit, really. In you know the one thing it. that's happened – you know the one thing that this season has, has done, though? It's completely eliminated the conversation of 2013 in Kentucky fans. <laughs> it, it will never be the season that you look back and say, you know, they were really bad that year. Ryan Harrow's off the hook. 2013 was very good if you're comparing it to this team. And I think I said that a few weeks ago, that 2013 would beat this team by 20. Well, that was people tweeting at me after the um, Georgia game talking about the Billy G era. Like, I remember the Billy G era just fine. Like, they at least had Jody Meeks, who was fun to watch. They had Patrick Patterson. And, yeah, they didn't make the tournament. But, like, it wasn't decided this damn early in the year that they they weren't going to be at the tournament team. 24 games that year. Yeah, I think they won 22 games that year. And, like, some schools, the coach might have gotten an extension. Like, I get it's Kentucky, but it was not anywhere near. Like, they had – 
the Billy Gier had some terrible losses like San Diego, VMI, Gardner Webb. I, I get that. Like they had some embarrassing losses. It was I'm not I'm not advocating for the Billy Gier. It was a bad era, but he didn't put out a product that's been this poor. I don't this, think anyway. That's my opinion. This, this team has the same number of wins as the football team did. In, in a season where I think I saw somebody tweet that last night, if uh, the football team next fall would win more games, what this basketball team ends up. How, so I ask you this: How many do they get to? Do they get to ten? Do they win ten games? Ken Palm's got them at nine right now. Ken Palm's only wins left the rest of the year is Auburn at home, Vanderbilt away, and then Texas A&M at home. And Vanderbilt and Texas A&M are both in the one hundreds on Ken Palm. So that so would be, that actually be sounds eight, right? that that would be. Uh, would that be eight wins? Or they I don't a- know what that – well, yeah, that looks like something's off on Ken Palm. Yeah, they so they're 5-11. They don't even know. They're 5-11. He, he projects them at 9-15, and 15, but he only picks three wins. Uh, the I, I don't know. I, maybe uh, maybe I'm not – yeah, maybe I'm not reading his calculations because he does have a few that are very close. Like Arkansas, he has 48% for Kentucky, Florida 49, and Mississippi 46. So uh, I think they'll get to – they'll beat Vanderbilt and they'll beat A&M. They can they can beat Auburn. They're good enough to beat Auburn. They're good enough to beat Arkansas. Uh, I'll say ten or eleven, maybe. I mean, they're gonna have a losing record though. So if the SEC tournament is played, where would they be right now? If you look at the standings, I've got them pulled up here. They'll be playing on Thursday. Let's see here if I can find. Yeah, they they would definitely be playing on Thursday. I don't think I don't think they're gonna dip to Wednesday. I mean, gosh, that'd be horrible. But looking at it, they would be third, fourth, fifth, sixth. They'd be what a seven, a seven seed. So you'd be right there. You're playing Missouri, right? Is it Missouri the two right now? Yeah. Or no? How's that? See, I don't know how the SEC tournament works for teams that play on Thursday because I never pay attention to it. They would have to play. They would have to beat a team just to play Missouri on Friday, right? That's how it would be. They'd have to play the ten seed. They'd have to play one of those teams who win on Wednesday, I guess. Yeah. I guess it would be the ten. We'll have to wait and see exactly. I mean, that's another thing too. There's some. The makeup games are kind of piling up right now in the SEC. I noticed Texas A&M, uh, obviously South Carolina, is uh, has only played seven games. So there's, what happens with those games? I mean, do those games get no idea. the impact seating? I, I don't know how you, how do you make this up? Listen, here's the deal. Calipari and everybody over there is ready to get the season over with. I he mean, knows, he knows it's for fun. all. Yeah, I mean, for all intents and purposes, like. Everybody has to stick with the mentality like, hey, you know, it's just going to take one game. They can turn this thing around. Like, it's it's very obvious. Like, there's too many flaws on this team. Like we've said, they keep playing hard. I think that's admirable, honestly. I mean, it's college basketball. You would expect everybody to to do that. But at the same time, it's a young team. And I was discouraged, as I'm sure that they are. They continue to go out there and fight. And that's kind of the thing. Like, outside of the Alabama game, they've really not got blown out this season. Like, Georgia Tech was bad, but that was way back early in the year. They have had opportunities in a lot of these games, and that's why I say I think they'll still find a way to, to pull out a few more wins yep. here at the end of the year. But it's just too – there's that's what I was telling you before we got on here. Like, I, I'm just to the point where it's not like – fans can feel however they want. It's just what's the point in getting that, like, torn up? Like, you know how it is going into the game. You know it's going to be a struggle. You know this team is not very good. So, watching them, like, they're not just going to magically turn it around is what I'm trying to say. So – if you want to keep watching to try to see some development, try to see how things happen, totally get that. Uh, but this team's just limited. And it's hard, it's weird to say that for Kentucky. But 
like they went into that game last night, Sean, I didn't expect them to win. I can't tell you another time I ever thought they would. Like it used to be jarring when Kentucky lost a game under Calipari. It'd be jarring if they won now. Yeah, now it's to the point where like if they beat Tennessee on Saturday, which I know Tennessee's having some problems, but Rick Barnes always. I mean, even well, Cal's good teams, Rick I Barnes finds you. a way to to beat him. So I told you a week ago. I know we hadn't recorded a lot, but I said there's one game out of the next four that I actually think they might win. And it was Texas. I don't know why I felt that way. I just felt like that that's just the way it's gone, that they would lose at Missouri. And I said it yesterday or Monday, they would lose at Missouri and they'll lose to Tennessee. They were losing both of them. They're, they're not winning that game Saturday. I just, I don't see it. Uh, when it comes down to having to execute this team, it feels like the basketball IQ is just so far off on at almost every spot on the floor. Like they just, they don't put them, they don't know how to win basketball games. They're, I mean, they're the, just a bad, I mean, they're a bad team. Just, they are. Well, Cal, you know, Cal called three circle and he can say that it was a bad call. It probably was given that this team just doesn't execute and it's BJ Boston running off baseline runners and they didn't even realize how to, <laughs> to read exactly what was happening in that situation where Missouri was pressing up on them. But that has been what Cal has gone to for a decade now at Kentucky. And it's been very good. You, the game changes if that is somebody like an Emmanuel Quickly or a Tyler Hero coming off that action, or if you have a point is guard. That the, or somebody. Is that the? Is he about the circle play? Is that the one he said he's he's run his whole career, but this team just yeah. can't do it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't I don't don't quote me. That's not what Cal said exactly, but paraphrasing, he basically said that you know he's he he did that because he's always done it and it's usually worked, but for this group, it's not worked. Yeah, because so. the that play puts you. That's why Kentucky's guards and perimeter players over the years develop into very solid players off the ball in the NBA. It's because you're making a read. I mean, you're running off multiple screens. You're making a read, uh, whether to curl off those. Uh, you got the backdoor cut. Uh, the the post will lift, and they'll do the dribble handoff and all that. This team just does not do that well. That's the thing that you don't see this team be very successful when they go to their circle set. And it's three circle because BJ Boston was the three man in that situation. If it's two circle, it's it's for the two man. If it's one circle, it's for the point guard. That's how Cal dictates who the play is for in that set. But it was not a good set last night. And then you see it late in clock. Uh, Davion Mintz just gets absolutely the, the ball screen just gets completely blown up. He gets deep on the baseline. Ask you in that situation late in the clock, a point guard you would think could get by somebody and at least get a shot up on the rim for an offensive rebound. He literally went in a straight line, three dribbles from the right wing to the left elbow. And it wasn't because that's where he wanted to get to. It's because he couldn't get anywhere else. It was the most eye-opening p- play to me. That It literally defined why they're not good. When I saw he, that they have nobody that can get the ball by somebody's hip. I think in terms of the guys that you view as not likely to leave for the NBA, and I would, I would say Clark, Boston, and Jackson are the three guys who I would – Assume we'll leave for the NBA. I think Allen and uh, Askew have the most interesting decisions to make in terms of what their future is. And don't get me wrong, I've advocated on here. I've said over and over and over that the way Cal with this turnover, you have to have kids come back. I'm not, I would never advocate in any sport to run some kid off. It's not my choice, not a fan's choice. Like it's up to them. I do think, however, Devin Askew is not a point guard at Kentucky. No. I don't think that changes next year. I don't think that changes two years from now. So to me, he kind of has to evaluate what he is. And I think the coaches have to do it too. You have to figure out like you talk, you mentioned quad a green, like quad a ran into the same problems. He was not a point guard at UK. Devin. 
I don't, he doesn't shoot it enough for me to say he can't be a productive three point shooter. I just don't really know though. Like I could see him get being played over next year. If, if Cal feels like if yeah. Scott Clark comes in and Hickman's any good, like I could just see him losing minutes basically is what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm it, not saying the kid needs to transfer. I'm just saying like maybe what he thought he was when he came to UK is not going to be what he is in the system. Well, with Allen, go ahead. If you want to say something, I'd ask you. Well, what I was going to add about ask you is just even from a professional basketball standpoint, I don't know. Like it's with his size, you would think it would have to be at the point guard position, but he's not a point guard, like you said. That that's just that's not who he is. Uh, he's not he's not a scoring point guard for sure. I mean, maybe he can buy you some minutes and handle the ball and at least get the ball up the floor for you at times. But I think the best thing that Devin Askew needs to become is he needs to be a knockdown shooter. Has to be yeah. if if he's going to make an impact, it's going to have to be as a knockdown shooter offensively because it's not going to be. And anything he could become that. He could. I mean, he, we didn't think quickly was game. you know what quickly became his sophomore year was not what we thought he would be his freshman no. year. So I'm not saying Askew has no chance. I'm just saying I don't think it's going to be in the role that we all thought it was going to be in. No, and that's where his game needs to transition to off the ball, especially this off season. Like if he's if he's indeed not wanting to transfer or not go anywhere, and I don't think he is. I mean, he's played a ton of minutes. I think that he will be at Kentucky. His game this summer doesn't need to be with the ball in his hands because that I just don't see him developing enough speed and burst. I mean, it goes back to Missouri's assistant coach, the wiggle. Kentucky's yeah. guards don't have enough wiggle. And it's, that was the truest statement that has been made all season. I've said it multiple times. They have no burst in transition. Mintz does to an extent. Mintz is uh, their, their best option in my opinion. But back to ask you, his offseason at Kentucky needs to be off the basketball 90% of the time. Learn how to come off screens, learn how to make reads, learn how to get a quicker release, and get that package to his game because it's it, his impact is not going to be with the basketball in his hands. I totally agree. Uh, and with Allen, I don't think Allen wants to go anywhere. Um, and shoot, the way the roster stands right now – there's not a whole lot standing in front of him and playing time next year, but he, he has been used weirdly. I would say uh, I, I am of the belief. This is my personal opinion. I don't think Cal has been thrilled about having to use him this year. It's my opinion. Uh, so what that means for him long-term, I'm not really sure. Like, cause I think that's kind of the weird thing is there is no, I don't think Hunter Salas is coming to Kentucky and I don't think Jaden Hardy's coming to Kentucky. So you're not going to have like this bona fide five-star freshman coming in to take minutes. So if you do stick around, who are you going to be battling? Probably a transfer from somewhere who hasn't played in the system who, I don't know. Like I see a pathway for Allen, but I just wonder if he's not going to be discouraged though with how the season has gone is the only thing I'm saying. So that's why I think he has an interesting choice to make. I think it would certainly benefit Kentucky for him to be back next year. Um, and maybe if they can sure up that point guard situation, you really see his uh, ability, or I guess the, the things that he's good at, maybe you see it become more maximized if uh, if they have a point guard who can do that. But those are the two who I'd be really curious to see because like, I think Ware, I don't think he has much of a choice to make. Like, I think he's going to be a really good piece for this program if he wants to stick around. Keon, I guess you just get a – I mean, I, I, Keon has never given me any kind of indication that he's just trying to get out of there as fast as he can. But he is a guy who's been at UK for two years, and you don't see a whole lot of guys going to the third year. So whether that's fair to Keon or not, I'm just saying, like, it's probably something to monitor just because we don't see guys get to the third year a whole lot. Um, I don't know, Sean. I just – like I said, I went from the point where I thought, you know, everything's going to be just fine. 
Maybe it'll even be better for him to get a lot of these guys back. But I don't see a just killer recruiting class coming in next year like uh, we've seen in the past under Cal. I see I see more of – you know, I see some guys with some good potential. If anything, you might just be swapping the kind of player that Jackson is for the kind of player that Collins is going to be. I'm sure they're going to be pretty similar in a lot of ways. So, I don't know. I don't know. I was wondering if you wanted to talk any, any uh, recruiting for football. Well, can, the one thing I'll add before this. we – the one thing I'll add before we move on is Kentucky needs better guard play. I think that's the biggest change. Yeah, it is. Going yeah, into it the is. next season, it's... they they just they have to have better guard play. Even in the years where they struggled, like the, the Tyler Eulis Jamal Murray team, it was isn't viewed as one of the better teams in the John Calipari era. But they won games and they made it fun because their guards were good. I mean, that's well, the they lost nine part. games, but they were number four on Ken Palm at the end of the <laughs> season. They were like a good team. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the that's the thing. Like it, but it's viewed as one of the the lower end teams. Of there, yeah. but just good guard play makes it fun and gives you a chance. Uh, but the one thing I also add to, I'm going to make a prediction here: Terrence Clark either plays against Tennessee or he doesn't play the rest of the the season. That's that's what I'm ready to arrive at. Yeah, I mean, it has been a while now since he's not played since December 26th. So Cal saying five weeks. I mean, it has been a while. Uh, I don't know enough about his injury. I mean, I, I would agree with that, though. Like, I mean, he's down all the way to 45th or 40, 40. He's in the 40s right now in some of those ESPN mock drafts. So, like, well, what, what we were saying the other day, I mean, he's he's at a point where I don't know if it's better for him to come back and try to play up his draft stock or if he comes in and isn't any good. Like, does it totally knock him out of the <laughs> draft conversation? That's what I don't know. Well, given that Cal said what he said last night, that he's going to practice today and tomorrow. I mean, that kind of puts it out there that, you know, okay, it's up to you now if you don't play. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing that I'm looking at is Cal put the ball in his court last night. That's the first time. It's definitely a significant development from, you know, we're waiting on the doctors to see what they say. And he's like, well, you're going to practice tomorrow on Friday, and then we'll look at it. But then he'd yeah. come, back, come back out last night with a tweet. But – yeah, let's uh, let's move on here before we wrap up. And I know you want to get into Kentucky football recruiting. I think a lot of us are ready to just turn the page to Kentucky football in general on this podcast. So uh, big day yesterday for Kentucky football, yeah. Derek. It was a day that we talked about uh, some stuff on Tuesday, that mm-hmm. Wednesday could be a big day for the program, and it certainly was. And Kentucky's put themselves in a position. They won the offseason again, and there's a lot of buzz heading into another football season. There is. This is a really big spring coming up, but John Summerall, inside linebackers coach, did a great job to secure Trevin Wallace's commitment. Um, I guess a point I wanted to make uh, is a lot of these high-profile recruitments Kentucky has been involved in, at least behind the scenes from what I can gather, and I'm talking about the Justin Rogers types, the uh, even Christian Lewis, really, I would, I would consider for his importance to the program, pretty high-profile recruitment. Trevin Wallace. Um, seems like there's one more I'm forgetting. Oh, well, Jagger Burt, I guess, can be considered it. Like, there's not really a whole lot of suspense in these recruitments. Like, Wallace is a quiet kid, so he played it kind of close to the vest. But I can tell you, based on what I was hearing from people who knew the situation much better than I, like, they felt good about that kid pretty much the second that Auburn got rid of Travis Williams. Kentucky moved in and it was a great job by Summerall. It's two straight classes that they've uh, managed to pull a kid from the deep south who was likely SEC bound at another school who was a four-star type kid. So I think Wallace will probably prove to be – I mean, there was a 
it's a VIP story. So if you're not a subscriber at 24 seven, you won't be able to read it. But our, um, basically the guy who evaluated Trevin Wallace's high school film, and I believe I actually watched him play in person as well. I mean, he raved about this kid. I mean, and, and you heard, you heard Stoops' comments yesterday saying he's the kind of player who can come in and make an immediate impact. Like that's a big commitment. I mean, he's, yeah. he's going to be a guy that, Yes. Kentucky doesn't get kids like that very much. Like a uh, number two inside linebacker from out of state. I mean, I was talking to my brother. You know, think about this program ten years ten years ago. Couldn't even get Lamar Dawson, who was right down the road, and was going to be coached by a guy from his high school, <laughs> and yes. they still couldn't get him. And now you got you know the just kind of the uh, how this program has evolved into a spot that you can go to the deep south and pull a kid. And 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 Wallace was a little different situation. He this was not a guy who was four-star talent his whole high school career and people knew about him from a sophomore year on like he was a late bloomer but uh still a very very impressive job and he's someone who even if it's not next year i think he's certainly going to his sophomore year thinking he could be the face of the defense that's that's how good this kid could be yeah it's, it's a huge commitment or a huge signature too uh just the way kentucky the way they won the way that they win the offseason Derek, just blows my mind how you know they can turn negatives you know, right there to the stretch. I tweeted yesterday. It feels like the Alabama and Florida losses. We're sitting here having. I mean, I remember driving back from Chicago doing that post game Kentucky Daily, and we were just all like gloom and doom on there. We're sitting yeah. here going like it, it's just crazy. But now we're sitting here like, man, this this team's in good position now that you're kind of. I'm getting sucked back into the whole. Where am I going to put them in the SEC East race going into next year? Well, yeah, this team had a losing record last year. Like they went five and six this past season, and people were like so fired up for. And it's because Stoops stepped in and made changes immediately once the season ended. He went in and, and fixed things. And it was he's done a good job, Stoops has, this offseason. And, and maybe things won't automatically turn around next year, but with the talent they've brought in, Wondell Robinson, things like that, well, they've done well. Think of this, too. So they, they won their final regular season game. They, they make a new hire or new hires. Then you go and you get a very successful early signing period. So you get some positive PR then. You hold on to these wide receivers. Then you go get Wondell Robinson right in the heart of all. Oh, wait, hold on. You win a bowl game too. So you win a bowl game. You get a bunch of guys announced that they're returning with experience. Uh, Your running back isn't even in those numbers that we're talking about highest recruited players on the roster. And then you go into – the bowl game, you win the bowl game, and then you get the guys back, and then recruiting, and it's it's just crazy how they win it. It certainly is. He's done a really good job. Spring will be here, just a matter of weeks. Um, still, still some possible additions that will not be on the spring roster, but that could change next year. I mean, you have the the portal coming in after spring practice too. You'll have a whole another batch of kids hop in. But yeah, Wallace is a big deal. He also got Luke Fulton from Michigan State officially, yeah. and. He'll be a good – I don't think he'll compete for a starting job this year, but he'll be someone who – he'll be another transfer. body. Yeah. It's power so, five third five. power five transfer they've had. So, yeah. really exciting times coming up, I think, for the football program. It is, and really exciting times for Kentucky Daily. We want to say thank you, as always, for listening. Thanks for sticking with us through the kind of pause that we went on uh, when Kentucky basketball went on their pause as well. But we're back. We're ready to hit the ground running here. We'll get you through the rest of this awful Kentucky basketball season. And then we'll be uh, definitely diving into football too, Derek. And I know some people have asked us about softball and baseball. Baseball, So I think we should start doing some, at least an episode here or there, just a little plug, just to do something, maybe have like a little segment talking about what's going on, maybe with the schedule, some things like that. 
But he's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time on Kentucky Daily. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.